Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. So today's episode 142, in which I'm going to talk about wars and rumors of wars and maps of the apocalypse. Uh, very interesting discussion, I think, to have. Today I'm having Daniel Rushing, a friend of mine, friend of the show. Hello, Daniel. Welcome. Glad to be here. Um, Daniel previously came on the show last two years ago uh, at the beginning of COVID, in which we discussed uh, the sort of mini apocalypse we were having um, with society and not knowing what things were going to be. Um, and I don't know. I think since we had that discussion, uh, links to it in the show notes at jimmystable.com, that uh, I think we kind of proved to be a little right about some stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was definitely surprised by that podcast. Yeah, like I, I went back and listened to it again uh, today, and I was just like, holy cow. Like It really ended up being, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, do you feel if things ended up being worse or as bad or... Uh, well, it was funny because I think one time in the podcast, I, I was like, you know, this could go on two or three months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it um, definitely, I think in a lot of ways, you know, things did turn out maybe worse. Yeah. In some ways than I, I mean, no, uh, uh, I know some people were controversial about the numbers, but, you know, right now as of the timing of this podcast, just under a million people have estimated to die of COVID in the United States yeah. in the past two years. Um, we've had political turmoil. Uh, so I guess you could say a little bit of a revolution in American political scene. Um, social upheaval. And we get through all that and we're like, oh man, COVID's finally going away. And then all of a sudden we turn on the news one day and find out that Russia is invading Ukraine. Mm. And so it feels like we've rolled from one little mini apocalypse into maybe something even escalated more. Like we, right. like I mean, I, I hate to like our our estimates of two to three months last time uh, proved to be a little short. Yeah, so. it feels like the four horsemen are just they're just out there. <laughs> Absolutely, <They're> running. <laughs> they are running everywhere it seems. And so I think in light of that, I like you and I have been talking about. Um, the, the podcast we previously did, we've talked about it since then and, and the need to come back to have a further discussion because I think there's a very real sense that we were onto something and I think even something more in light of recent events, in light of our own personal growth and understanding of apocalyptic themes throughout the scripture. Um, so before we get into those discussions though, I want to read a classic passage from Matthew chapter 24 regarding the apocalypse, a very apocalyptic passage of scripture in which Jesus gives uh, this famous discourse in which the disciples ask him about basically the end of the world and the second coming of Christ. Um, and Jesus said to them in Matthew 24, he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And he was sitting on them with the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus said to, him, said to them and said, See that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and I will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. 
See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And then they will deliver you to tribulation, and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time many will fall away, and betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise, and will mislead many." Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end shall come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken through the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go out to get the things that are in the house. And whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and nursing in those babies in those days. But pray your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world till now nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, in those days they will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so the coming of the Son of Man shall be. And whenever the, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the great tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the earth shall mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in the sky with power and great glory. And he will come forth with his angels, a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Um, and then Jesus goes on to tell the parable of the fig tree in which he says, Now learn from the parable of the fig tree, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Therefore I say to you, this generation shall not pass until all these things take place. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. But the hour and the day no man knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son of Man, but the Father of alone. For just as the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah, for as those days the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them away, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. There will be two men in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, another left. Therefore be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. And that's a lot... And oh my goodness, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Some of those you start reading and then you start halfway through, you're like, should I have read this whole thing or not? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I know. But I read it because in full because really when you sit there and look at this passage, one, it's a very familiar passage, and I think it's imprinted on the heart and mind of just about any Christian anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a good reason that it has such a strong imprint. But if you were to really compare this passage of prophecy about the apocalyptic end of days and everything that happened um, with this passage, you'll find out it kind of rhymes with a lot of other passages in the Bible. Right. Things that you see both in the New Testament and even in the Old. Yeah. Jesus throws back to the book of Daniel, and that's a very loaded book of Scripture about the apocalypse. 
Um, and then we can try to tie it all into Revelation. But really, when you kind of get down to it, all these passages kind of blur together at the mm. end of the day. Like, yeah. they, they have specific things about them that make each passage unique in its storytelling. But at the end of the day, like, the core of the message and the core imagery, if you will, kind of seems to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, um, and, and that's... So as you were reading that, I actually wrote down in my notes that uh, this is a, a Christian apocalypse. Um, you know, it's in our canon. But it's not the only apocalypse in the Judeo-Christian tradition. You just named a couple of others. Daniel, uh, Revelation is another one. Um, these are all apocalyptic passages. Um, and so, but this is definitely a great one to draw from. Also, the mini apocalypse in Mark, which may be the earliest gospel apocalyptic writing. Um, but before I say anything more about that, I want to say, you know, you mentioned all the things that have changed. Like, a lot has changed with us. Right, absolutely. <laughs> like, not, not only COVID, but uh, tell about your situation a little bit. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm no longer um, in the church. Right. And so, you know, I'm actually today, I was a little nervous about this because mm. this is the first time I have spoken publicly uh, about scripture or theology in, in two years right. since the last time I was right. on your podcast, actually. Right. I, I can't think of another instance in which I have. Um, and so, you know, so now I'm able to come and to speak um because I'm not under the auspices of any church. <laughs> right. And I was thinking earlier, when it comes to apocalyptic literature, I've been handed a couple of different um, a couple of different hermeneutics. Okay? Right. The first hermeneutic I was given was the hermeneutic of the church, which in my tradition, a Pentecostal tradition, uh, was very dispensationalist. Right. And for those who don't know what that means, a short version is, it's kind of the timeline reading of the end of the world, right? Um, John Hagee, Jack Van Impey, some others um, kind of uh, use that, that timeline. Um, and then the second model I was given was the model given in academia as a student, okay? Well, not model, but hermeneutic. And that hermeneutic was more scholarly and seemed to place emphasis on uh, more of a preterist view of the eschaton. Right. That would mean that this passage that you just read has already been fulfilled once and for all in right. 70 A.D., um, and, um, and, and, and that was it. It was a one and done, you right. know, and Daniel was a one and done. Everything was a one and done. Um, but I think that what you're getting at is, um, we cannot, uh, ignore the way that these apocalyptic, uh, stories and accounts are similar. And there's a reason they're similar and it's thematic and it's genre based and it's all of that. Right. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Matthew 24 is a, is a great place to start for yeah. sure. Um, and, 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 you know, you, you mentioned the, the, the thematic sort of aspect, and, and we talk about the, the, the sense in which this passage may or may not have been fulfilled in 70 AD. And I think the interesting thing about this, this sort of apocalyptic literature, genres and the scriptures, whether we're talking about Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, uh, Matthew, uh, Revelation, or any of the other ap apocalyptic passages of scripture, like there's a very real sense, like when you try to tether them to historic events, that they seem to fit like historic events. Like you can link Daniel to the Maccabean Revolt and Antichios Epiphanes, and you can link uh, uh, Matthew 24 to the fall of Jerusalem and the burning of the temple under Titus and uh, the invasion of Rome. And, you know, there's a very real sense in which you can do those things. But if you were to actually get into kind of a word-for-word, jot-for-jot, tittle-for-tittle attempt to fulfill these passages, there's a very real sense, yes, 
they happened in those senses, but if like you were to really try to, and we won't get into the super details of those things, but if you try to align them perfectly, they just don't fit. Right. And, and then, so that's when people say, okay, well, they didn't fit perfectly in the past, so therefore there's a future event. And mm -hmm. so people project a future event in which this must happen, and, and then they try to imagine, well, okay, how, well, how does Matthew 24 work in which Jerusalem is the holy city with the temple of God and the Jews worshiping there? Well, that must mean, therefore, there's a future temple and a future Jewish city. And, and you know, we try to extrapolate the past into yeah. future events um, and say, well, this is going to happen again. And I think the, there's maybe a sense of that dispensational sense in which there, it might be right, but I think there's also a sense in which both that sort of historical preterist viewpoint of things happening in the past and things from a dispensational standpoint about things happening in the future, where they're both right, but they're wrong. Right. Um, and I think they're right in the sense that they both want to anticipate and take Jesus' words at some sort of sense of face value of that, like, we believe that these things will have historically happened or will happen at some point. Um, but I think that's where, like, the baby kind of gets thrown out with the bathwater. Mm. Um, it's been your and I's discussion and putting these things together that, that these passages, these apocalyptic passages, they're more paradigms or maps or models for apocalypse wherever apocalypse happens. Yeah. Um, and that, yes, there's a sense in which it is tethered to the past, and maybe there's a very real sense in which it's tethered to future things. But if you're reading those passages specifically to try to tether them to specific historical events, past, present, or future, you're missing the point. Yeah, yeah, right. I agree. And so, we, and we've talked about this, you know, as you stated, but I have these two hermeneutics I was handed, the church and right. academia. Um, and now I'm not accountable to either one. So <laughs> I think that there, there, we have to find a more helpful, helpful hermeneutic for apocalyptic literature yeah. because uh, it is so relevant right. to what we've been experiencing the last two years. Right. Like you said, we can't take everything that has happened and say, this is that. Right. But yet... A lot of the things that have happened obviously send off the the spidey sense, if you right, will, absolutely. of Christians because they've read these passages, they've been taught certain hermeneutics about how to interpret, right. you know, apocalyptic literature, and so, you know, one of my, you know, I said I'm kind of obsessed with this topic. My church used to make fun of me because I, I talked about apocalypse a lot, and the reason I talk about it a lot is because the hermeneutic I was handed in church. Um, is so futuristic that it's very disassociated from the present, right? right. And uh, as someone who in their own personal life is trying to learn how to be more present, it's very difficult to, uh, to sort of have a theology or a spirituality connected to a theology that is so futuristic and so escapist in nature because that also is the hermeneutic that says, you know, at the end of the world, God's just going to suck us all out of here, you right. know, just like a vacuum, pull us up, teleport us out and, and, and deal with things. But there is a more helpful hermeneutic, and I think that's the hermeneutic you, you actually do find in Scripture. Um, and that is, like you said, we're not looking at timelines. We're looking at um, maps of meaning. We're looking at uh, paradigms. We're looking at archetypes. Because at the end of the day, when we talk about apocalypse, we are talking from it from the literary genre of apocalypse. What right. you just read 
and Revelation and Daniel, those are all written in the genre of apocalypse, which is an ancient form of, of writing, right. of, of transmission. Um, but we are talking about apocalypse in the real sense, right? right? And, um, and so, you know, you have to kind of understand the genre to some degree, um, but when you have a hermeneutic in which you interpret the genre through a timeline that is always about some ultimate future event, it sort of loses its relevance to the moment and just becomes entirely unhelpful. Right. You know, uh, some of the critiques you know that, that that's out there in more dispensationally uh, dispensational theologies uh, of the end times is you know, things like, um, well, you know, if you don't, if you already think God's just going to burn the world down and start it over, you don't care about the world now. Right. Um, if if you think at the end uh, God wants Russia to invade, like Pat Robertson said, you know, this Gosh. is God. Right. Like stay in retirement, bro. Stay in retirement. Stay. Your your university, your professors. I'm not there, so I can't speak for them. But I have a feeling they would be like, please stay. Right. In retirement. Um, so, you know, but that's what that's the impulse right. because that's the hermeneutic you are following. Right. You're following a hermeneutic. And I'm, there's nothing wrong with that thing. And we're going to talk about this later. Right. There is some value in seeing the way in which the evangelical church even has interpreted via a timeline. Right. You know, this was the hermeneutic my father had. This is the hermeneutic of my parents, right. of my, my church of origin. Um, but it is unhelpful. And so I, I think that what we're going to explore today is looking at this in a way that is is not linear but it's more cyclical, right? and that seems to be a much more helpful hermeneutic. Right, because I, I think when you talk about apocalyptic genres and literature, like, yes, there's a sense in which they were oriented to the future, but their concern wasn't so much about their ability to read tea leaves and have a confidence about the future that they like know the secrets of the world and how it's going to end, but their concern was primarily pastoral. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted yes. to they wanted to teleport future events into the present to show how we ought to live now. Mm-hmm. Like what I think it was Peter said, what manner of men ought we to be? Right. Um, and and so there's a very real sense in that that there was this you see it, I believe, throughout the old and new testaments, that there's this apocalyptic fervor that possessed the pe- preaching of the prophets, John the Baptist, Jesus, the apostles. Like, there's a very real sense in which they believed a lot of things were happening right now that were disrupting the world, and they still expected bigger things, but they wanted those bigger things to orient how you acted right here in the present. Um, and, I, and I think, especially drawing from the Pentecostal tradition from which you and I come, like, I still can't get over Sister Oki, uh, who, grandmotherly figure at this Pentecostal Church of God that I went to for years, in which Sister Oki would stand up and give her testimony on Sunday mornings in church and just be like, Brother so-and-so, I'm just excited about the coming of the Lord, and, and I just believe, like, I see the things on the news, and I believe that these, I believe that Jesus is coming any day now. And, and Sister Oki was saying that 20 years ago. Right. Um, and there's a very real sense, I, though, that I believe that's healthy, because I think you had a great quote from um, Karl Barth about like the sister Okies of the world and how she would look at the news Mm -hmm. and see it in light of apocalypse. Yeah. I'm not sure if Bart was actually, if this is, this is one of those things scholars will argue over, but we're going to give him credit for it. Absolutely. I I saw it on a meme. And if he didn't say it, Dr. Seuss said it. But it has been said since. um, And, and so forgive me all you Bart scholars if I'm off here, but um, yeah, he said you should study the Bible or you should study scripture with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Right. 
And of course, you know, in a very literal sense, this is what Jack Van Impe did. Right. For those of you who know uh, who he is, right. And and you know, when all this started going down, I was thinking to myself, I was like, somebody needs to recreate Jack Van Impe. Absolutely. And but <laughs> but offer a different hermeneutic for apocalypse. And I know I'm using that word all. Right. Hermeneutic just means interpretation, right. y'all. So I'm, I'm being fancy with my words. Yeah. But yeah. Just we need to be given a better interpretation of. Um, of apocalypse, right. um, can I can I can I rant on yeah, that? Go ahead, just go ahead. Okay, so so apocalypse. The, the, I think that the connection we can make that is that is helpful. Instead of thinking of apocalypse as this big calendar on the stage of some you know mega church, and we've got to figure out you know which which parts align with which parts. The word apocalypse simply means to reveal. It means a revelation, and um, we all know that we've been through times in our lives that. The world was different than uh, vastly different in a very short amount of time. You know, the world sometimes often ends for us, uh, the world as we know it, whether it's losing a job or going through a divorce or uh, losing a loved one or a tragedy. Right. And then on the so- national social scale, things like wars and, you know, all those kind of things that come into play. But, but on a very personal level, we all go through apocalypse. Apocalypses. I feel like we need to have a plural for apocalypse. <laughs> apocalypse. Ap- apocalypse. Apocalypse. That's, that's what we're going with. Um, but we go through these. All right. And I want you just, you know, for, for those who are listening, just think about some of these times you've been through, some of those, those moments when the world uh, as you knew it was gone. It ended. Right. Okay. It is those times when lots of things that were hidden are revealed. Uh, you, rev- you, you learn who, who really is there for you. Right. Maybe you learn someone who you thought loved you didn't love you. Uh, maybe um, you learn what you're made of. Right. You know, you learn you can take on a new career. Uh, whatever it is, there's something that is revealed. And sometimes those revelations are painful, right. um, but, but they're necessary. They're part of, of this apocalyptic moment, right. which usually, typically in the genre even, results in some sort of new creation, right. some sort of new birth, something new kind of coming out of it. So apocalypse, the genre, is the ancient literature we're drawing from in which ancient people contextualize their world with symbols and, and stories and prophecies and archetypes and all of this kind of thing. Um, but the experience of apocalypse is anytime, and this is my definition, Anytime we go through something, that's the end of the world as we know it. Right. And we go through that on a personal level, and I think we're going through that on a national and on a social level uh, right now. Last time we had the podcast, we said we were uh, on a practice for the apocalypse. Right, a dress uh, rehearsal. Yeah, dress rehearsal, yeah. yes. Dress rehearsal uh, for the apocalypse. I don't know where you stand on that. Yeah. I think we probably yeah. are a little bit more be- more than a dress rehearsal yeah. at this point. Uh, a million dead. Right. Um, like in America just, alone. Just in America, you know, social upheaval. Uh, political upheaval, all the things that have happened in the last two years, really, I think the last six to seven years, but yeah. Yeah, and 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 now we're rolling into this stage in which, you know, and this is where I love like the Jack Van Ampe because he always loved to pull out Russia and tie it to the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Yeah. And the moment I started hearing about Russia invading Ukraine and people talking about the possibility of World War III, I kept thinking, where is Jack Van Ampe? And of course, unfortunately, Jack Van Ampe died a couple of years ago. Right. Um, but like, I, I feel like his voice would be much welcomed in the present environment. I almost feel like there's very little of any of that out there because to some degree it almost like he became a parody of himself right. and many in that school of thought have 
Um, there's no doubt that, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, like there's no doubt, like you can't think of John Hagee type of individuals and not think of blood moods and not have a good laugh. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think there's a very much a real sense in which we, to some degree should kind of like chuckle at that, like, and, and, and not to make fun of them per se, but like we, we've seen this apocalyptic fervor be misplaced throughout the history of the church. Like where people like would be convinced and start setting dates and would literally go stand on their roofs waiting for Jesus um, and, the, and the coming of the Lord. And that always resulted in a lot of embarrassment to the church. And there's a very real sense in which some of these guys and their, their bold predictions and constantly getting things wrong or constantly changing the players of, you know, if it's not the United Nations, it's Russia, it's the EU, it's NATO, it's Obama. You know, like how many times has... Henry Kissinger be considered the Antichrist, like right. you know, like yes. uh, he's still alive, so he might be. I he guess. could be, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Somebody out there is writing about it right, right. Now as we speak. Um, but there, I think, but for what they were wrong in regarding the details, though, I think that the spirit of which they were operating, in which, like you said, with Bart or whoever said it, mm -hmm. um, that you're reading the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, and that is correct. Like, and, and that's very much what Jesus gave in Matthew 24. Jesus is like, here's the theology, here's the Bible passages, here's the abomination of desolation mm -hmm. talked about by the prophet Daniel, and you're going to read about in the news one day about the fall of Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a very real sense in which, you know, I think that we can talk about those passages in relation to, to Jerusalem. I think that we can't discount the prophetic significance of those events um, in relation to fulfillment of those prophecies. But like you said, there's a very real sense it's about also the apocalypse that happens in our life or the global war, world orders. What is the Jerusalem in your life? What's the temple in your life? What's the abomination of desolation in your life right. or the light of the world? Um, and I think right now, like we saw COVID and now we're going into a season with, gosh, who knows with this war? Like it could be a little skirmish that just results in the fall of Ukraine. It could be a more regional, it could be a global catastrophe. Yeah. And we don't know how it's going to play out, um, but I think regardless of how it plays out, I think when we start taking passages like this in Matthew 24, we can apply a pastoral understanding, a cyclical understanding, a paradigm of it. Um, you and I are recently like, you know, all about some uh, Jordan, Dr. Jordan Peterson. Uh, we went to a conference last night in which he spoke. Um, and he talks about maps of meaning from a psychological standpoint. And I think, you know, maybe we can be the first to apply uh, this sort of concept to apocalypse, to this sort of genre that we have a map of the apocalypse. And it's not necessarily a linear thing. It's not something we need to necessarily tie to the fall of Jerusalem, uh, Maccabean revolt, uh, you know, or any of those events or things in the future. But it's right. something that we get to apply multiple times throughout the history of the world as we look towards the coming of the Lord. Yeah. I think that pastoral um, approach, okay, because I'll just be honest with you. Theologically, I am, I'm on the fence with the need for apocalyptic fervor. And I know you, you, you have a very, right. we talked about this last night over dinner, right. uh, you have a very solid understanding yourself of how that particular approach is important and helpful right. to the overall application of it. Right. Um, and, and I'm not there yet. I'm okay. still I'm still working through that to okay. some degree. But I think what you just said is important because when we talk about the pastoral nature of it, in Revelation, uh, there's this verse of scripture 
um, and I don't know if you want to find it to verify it, but where it talks about um, those who overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Right. And so testimony for me becomes such an important piece to the to the pastoral application of it, right? Right. Um, so you, you just said it, you know, the, the way you worded it a while ago was, as we go through these things, um, you didn't say it, but in essence you're saying t- we are testifying. As we go through our own personal apocalypses, right. maybe we, as the, and I say we, the church, maybe the church can become the people who testify right. to apocalypse by being people of the apocalypse. Right. Okay, so there's this uh, verse of scripture in the Old Testament uh, where David is like super, uh, Saul is super jealous of David. And one of the reasons he's jealous of David, it's, it's kind of vague, it just says, because the people love David and David went out and came in before them. That's all it says. But what was happening at the time was G, uh, David was leading military exploits for Saul. And so he would go out and he would come back to victor. He would go out and he would come back to victor. And so the testimony of David among his people was he was someone who went out to battle and came back from it. He was someone who went through it and came back from it. And from, to some degree, that's what testimony is. Right. And um, and so thinking of apocalypse as, as, as a way of... When you read Matthew 24, he's talking about them being persecuted, about right. them being killed. It's almost like he is in, inviting them and, and every believer after that, if we receive these words as words to right. the church, every believer after that to lean into being people of the apocalypse. Right. You know, um, so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, and I think, you you know, when you study the, the, the scriptures, there's very real sense that they had very... Uh, uh, apocalyptic mindset about the, uh, the, 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 the nature of the church. Eschatology was really the thread that tied everything together. The, their concept of a timeline, history, the working out of all things, um, ultimate things at the end of the day, which is what eschatology and apocalypse are all ultimately about. Um, and I, I still never forget actually reading through uh, Gordon Fee, Dr. Gordon Fee once, talking about his biggest regret after spending years of scholarship and years as a pastor, um, was the fact that he neglected the significance of eschatology, of tying in apocalyptic themes into the life of his church. Um, and I think there's a very real sense in which, like especially in the evangelical world I'm currently in, um, in which we don't really do that because we like our like nice South Park for I live in the South Park area of <laughs> Charlotte. Like we like our nice, nice South Park Ballantine South Charlotte upper middle crust lifestyle, and apocalypse is a threat to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a very real sense in which that could disrupt the way we live our lives. That means our kids don't necessarily go to Chapel Hill or Duke, or they might. Um, and, and we like the, you know, the middle class Jesus and the soccer mom sort of mindset, like, you know, everything becomes kind of self-helpy at the end of the day. And I think that, that, you know, while there's good things and all those things, I'm not knocking those things per se, but, um, there's a very real sense in which we never have a eschatological framework without getting into goofy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and our, the life of the church. And I think, but that's not only, I think, something that like affects like individuals like me that go to nice middle class, upper middle class churches in ritzy parts of Charlotte. Um, but I even think even some of those higher church theological traditions, whether it's 
preterist or post-millennial or um, amillennial theologies or even the theology of like somebody like N.T. Wright, who I think has made very fair criticisms of this sort of dispensational timeline sort of theology. But at the same time, it feels like when you read his theology, um, it's like there's a very sense in which his own work is very incomplete and lacks that sort of theme that connects all those things in Scripture. Yeah, I agree. Um, N.T. Wright is like, you know, for those who don't know out there, he's he's the heretic that caused many Pentecostals to no longer believe in the rapture. So um, I, uh, I being one. But um, so, yeah, I, so... So a couple of things before we jump into right. Matthew 24, we'll circle back around one more time, um, because a couple of things I want to say about it, and then I think we're going to talk about, um, or we're going to talk about N.T. Wright, and maybe yeah. Re- Revelation, things that were, right. that kind of, okay. Uh, so Matthew 24, two things that strike me about this chapter, and this was, reading it this way, I had this epiphany actually preparing for a sermon. And um, this is actually was was the beginning of, of me changing some of my beliefs about the eschatology, the end of the world, the apocalypse, and that kind of thing. Matthew 24 is the answer to a very specific question. What will the sign of your coming be and the end of the age? Mark's version does not say the end of the age. I don't think it just says what is the sign of your coming. Uh, this is not the answer to what is the sign of the second coming. This is Jesus' answer to what is the sign of your coming. Um, they, at this point, had no concept of a second coming um, in right. the narrative. Right. Now, we know it's written after, right. All right. but within the context of the narrative, which is how we should try to read these passages, uh, the disciples are still in denial just a couple of chapters earlier that he's even going away. Right. They don't even know Jesus is getting ready to die. Right, lie. yes. Like. So it's funny how we have always taken Matthew 24 and said it's about the second coming because they ask, what is the sign of your coming? Right. But that's, we're reading on the other side of this narrative. Right. So that's the first observation. Take it for what it's worth. Right. Um, that's a very preterist view. I'm not saying, because I actually agree with Jimmy, I'm not a preterist. I think the apocalypse, preterists are people who believe that the apocalypse has already happened. Right. There is nothing else going to happen. I think it's actually uh, a theme, um, something that right. ha- happens over and over and over again. And ancient religions, because we read Matthew 24, that's the one Christian apocalypse. There are other Christian apocalypse. Christian apocalypses. There's Jewish apocalypses. There's also apocalypses in other religions. And a lot of the stuff is kind of similar. Not all of it, obviously. It's very, very big differences, but also some similarities. Um, So the second thing I want to say about that passage, and I think is just something to consider, is that Jesus does say, this generation will not pass away until all these things have come to pass. And within that passage, there are some things that happened in the same gospel. When Jesus died, the the, uh, sun is blackened, uh, the earth shakes. So you have a dark sun, you have an earthquake, the veil is rent from top to bottom. The temple doesn't fall, but there's a significant rending of the veil. Um, so just some, you know, just some notes I like to make on Matthew 24 I, because uh, to read it as just a passage about the end of the world has always been very, very uh, strange to me since since I actually started preaching the scripture and was like, okay, you know, that's not the question that they're asking. Right. Um, so, um, so and I'm sorry if that was... That no, was no, that's good. Like, okay, good deal. So when we talk about apocalyptic literature, you know, we, we went to Peterson last night and Peterson draws a lot from... Um, biblical uh, talks a lot about archetypes and when he talks about archetypes he draws a lot from the bible right he uses and what's an archetype archetype oh man that's a great question so uh an archetype is um 
um, is, is the, and I had a good definition for this, I wrote down one time, um, my definition of it, but an archetype is sort of a projection um, that we humans, we humans tend to project certain things about ourselves and the way we've interpreted the world into these sort of uh, uh, images, right. if you will. So, um, you know, masculine and feminine, those are kind of overarching archetypes, right? right? Um, so, you know, in a, in a Jungian sense, and in some way I'm going to find a way to get Jungian here. You know this, right? <laughs> and, and he means the famed psychologist, for those of you who know. We're, we're, we're borrowing for all sorts of disciplines, yeah, yeah. by the way. So if we're losing some of you, that just trust us that maybe we know a little bit, yeah. maybe, sort of, kind we have, of what we talk we about. We have no idea what we're talking about. That's why we're not Absolutely. Any, we're ripping. Nobody's paying us to do this. Like, we're making it up as we go. There actually is no one named Carl Jung. No, yeah, no. Um, so... Um, but within a Jungian sense, you know, you've got like these basic archetypes, like right. um, like the trickster, the young child, the hero, right. um, the wizard, the magician, and and in and Jung's imagining there are there are certain categories in which we've always sort of placed our personalities or or, right. or the ways in which we behave, the way we project ourselves into the world, um, and so uh, so you have archetypes within. Um, and I'm trying to think of a good example I can use now uh, within apocalyptic literature. Um, okay, here's one we might could use. Um, you know, and it, it borders you know, metaphor, allegory, all that kind of stuff. But like uh, the beast in Revelation. Right. Okay, so this is a great example of, you know, beast, dragons. Right. All right, that's often an archetype in uh, in our literature. It often right. represents the chaos, right. uh, the chaos of life, the things we don't know, the things you don't understand. In apocalyptic literature, at least in Revelation, those beasts definitely represent that. Um, but the way in which they're described, having many heads, uh, some heads will take blows and the other heads will continue to live, uh, it talks, it's really talking about the political systems, the powers, the, the, some people read it just as the Roman Empire. I think it's a character, characterization of, um, of a lot of things. Um, but that's my definition. I think we should Google a definition of archetype. <laughs> yeah, uh, sure, why not? So I'm going to do that real quick. But I, I think that's like... Uh, and, and to like kind of transpose that sort of psychological insight, it's kind of like, you know, you could also see that in pop culture, like how you could have like, let's say with uh, 1980s comedy series on TVs, like you have this Bill Cosby or Danny Tanner type yes. fatherly figure who's like, yes. you see him all the time, yes. like in those type of shows, the Alex Keatons of the world, like you see all these like. Uh, these figures in pop culture that repeat over and over, and well, you see that psychologically too, or you, um, you know, and, and you can say we we see these these archetypes, these themes, these cycles, these patterns, these characters who appear time and time again throughout the story, throughout the narrative. It's like this is not the first time we saw this, mm -hmm. um, but like when you see those those biblical images, like. You see them often presented the same story, but kind of in a fresh way, yeah. kind of curated for the audience that they're talking to at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And you, one something you said is is important because in the definition, it's a uh, it's a recurrent symbol right. or motif in literature, art, or mythology. That's the literary definition, and then the psychological definition would be more akin to a very typical example of a certain person, thing, or personality. Right. right. So. Um, so yeah, I think you know that that's a um, that's a great example. So one one that comes to mind for me um, is you know for those who are Christians out there know uh, the Old Testament stories. If you went to Sunday school as a child, you should know these stories. There's like a ton of stories about warring brothers, right? Cain and Abel, 
Jacob and Esau, uh, Isaac and Ishmael, um, David's uh, sons uh, fight over uh, the throne. Right. The story of Joseph, right? There's always a younger brother right. who is ignored and cast aside for whatever reason, um, and then um, you know is mistreated by the older, um, or is chased down, or is killed, or is tried to be killed. Right. That's an archetype in the Old Testament. Right. <laughs> okay. And uh, it could be argued that that's the archetype for the tension between um, Jewish people and Palestinians over the centuries. I'm not the one to make that argument. Uh, uh, Martin Buber actually makes that argument. <clears throat> so, you know, that's an archetype that we could look at. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about apocalypse. And this is why I'm passionate about it. Because the apocalyptic literature does hand us the same archetypes. You know, the... Um, what is it? The desolation? The yeah, abomination of, the abomination of death, right. desolation. That appears multiple times. Multiple times, yeah. yeah. The day of the Lord. Right. The yeah. day of the Lord's a great theme. You yeah. see it so many ways and times and, and examples starting deep in the Old Testament, like in some of the earliest prophetic literature, but like they apply it, the, the theme, the day of the Lord. Well, when they're talking about it in the Old Testament, they're talking about the fall of uh, Judah, and they're talking about the fall of Israel, they're yeah. talking about the Babylonians, they're talking about the Assyrians, they're mm -hmm. talking about immediate and pending judgment. Mm -hmm. But then they expand it, and each mm -hmm. time they uh, get a fresh application, a fresh insight, and the details differ from the last time the last guy used it, but it's still the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, so you, you do see that. Another, I think one example we talked about before, too, was um, like the story of Isaiah, or the, which is not the story of Isaiah, but one of Isaiah's prophecies. Yeah. You know, Isaiah is, uh, is a prophet during the time in which the northern kingdom is invading Israel. And, um, and the, prophet, the prophet Isaiah is telling Ahaz, don't go to war. And Ahaz fears that the line of David will be cut off. And Isaiah basically says, don't worry about it. God will raise up a Messiah from a handmaiden, you know. Um, and, uh, and then later on, that, that Hebrew text was translated into Latin in the, in the uh, Septuagint, or Greek, excuse me, in the Septuagint. And when they did that, they translated handmaiden to virgin. And then later on, the Christian canon uh, took that verse about virgins and said Jesus fulfilled it by being born to a virgin. Right. Um, another one, son of man, right. uh, is another one. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of what what are some of the ones that always uh, symbols, right. uh, moons, stars, fire. Right. These are things that humans. Lions, sheep, goats. Yes, these are things that humans on a very basic level understand across right. generations. Right. You know because they're elemental. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, the Lord of I think I said the Lord of Hosts is right. another one right. that you see um, in apocalyptic literature, kind of this archetype of this right. warrior god, right. you know, um, who comes with the angels behind him um, to to sort of avenge. Uh, so yeah. So we talk about these things, and I think that's why when like you study the Book of Revelation, like there there's a couple, there's two verses from Revelation one eight and one nineteen where Jesus talks about. How he who was, he who is, and he who is yet to come. And he says, therefore, we write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. And so I think that's why, like, that's almost like, that's almost like, I guess you could say the key verse. And I'm kind of in some way unlocking this sense of paradigm in which they're saying, we've seen these things before. We're seeing them right now, and we're going to see them yet to come. Yes. And so when you look at the book of Revelation, 
Like you can see the letters to the seven, and this is a great example, I think, it's something the church has often gotten right over there. Mm -hmm. They see the letters to the seven churches, and yes, we talk about the seven churches of Asia Minor that these letters were written to, mm -hmm. but there's always been this extrapolation throughout church history of like, okay, yeah, we talk about the seven churches of Asia Minor, but, you know, maybe there are also seven churches in a greater sense. Like, right. And some have tried to, like, detail it across church history, the span of history. But some also continue to see it, the churches in the present, and trying to, uh, and this, especially for Pentecostal stuff, this is where you get into <laughs> spirits of Jezebel. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but that, that one's for free. We won't go into that. Um, I, I don't know for sure, but I've been told they're the worst. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the, they're, and, and even within those letters, when they talk about Jezebel, that is an archetype yes. um, that they're pulling from the Old Testament into the New and applying it to that church. And so you see these great themes constantly on repeat. I, I think it was Mark Twain who says, history never repeats itself, but it often rhymes. And I think you see that very much with prophecy. You see that very much with apocalyptic literature. These things rhyme, and they rhyme for a reason, and that's, yes, in a sense, God's doing some great historic thing that spans all times and epochs, but something also very much real in the present about what God's doing now and how this applies to us, like the apocalypse you've talked about, like, or even for those who've been listening to the Jimmy's Table podcast um, since episode 118, I've talked about the apocalypse of my life with, with you know, how COVID fed into the things that led into my uh, divorce that I'm currently going through and the, the change that that's bringing about in my life. I'm in need now of, of dying to the old life and I'm in need now of a new heavens and a new earth mm -hmm. uh, in right. my life. And there's a very real sense in which I believe that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth one day. Um, but I'm also needing a, a, a new creation right now. Right. Um, and I think that's something even Paul talks a thing or two about. You know, yes. uh, old things in Christ, new creation, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, and I think that's the key. We, this is a recurring thing that was come up over and over again. The idea is, is to live now in the present right. with the faith and the hope um, in the new heaven and the new earth. Right. You know, to act as if. You know, and that's kind of, I think, what N.T. Wright was getting to. Did you read, what verse did you read, Revelation 1? 1, 8, and one nineteen. So you read where you know, where, where he says, I am the one who was and right. is and is to come. And then what does one nine say? Uh, one nineteen says, therefore write the things which you have seen, seen. the things which you are, the things which will take place after yeah. these so things. So one eight and one nine. so you have a theology of God and then you have an eschatology right there. Right. Um, so the theology of God is that God is I am, surprise, right. his initial name, because he is the beginning, the middle, and the end. Right. So he is the I am. Right. He consumes all things at once. Um, and then you have, have this now. Revelation is a great example of what, what we're trying to say. Right. Because within it, within the book itself, it does this. Right. Because uh, you have seven letters. Right. You have seven seals. You have seven trumpets. You have seven bowls. I think there are seven angels. Yeah, seven yeah. angels and seven <laughs> trumpets. Um, and, you know, t a lot of readings of this, especially in our culture here in the South... And in most evangelical churches, especially those of charismatic, charismatic and Pentecostal persuasions, um, uh, in which we, we read each of those as like a different epoch of some sort of tribulation period. Um, but there's another way to read those, and that's to read them as the same thing being described over and over and over and over. So, And that's what Apocalypse is, in my opinion. It is right. uh, the retelling of, of the human condition 
when the world is stripped naked before you and you see it for what it is, it is the theological answer to your theological questions. You know, it's what do we do when the thing we never thought would happen happens? Right. Where do we go when the thing we thought God would never let happen happens? I never thought I would get a divorce. Right. Yeah. Right. So, and, and then like with Israel, you know, in the Old Testament, their conundrum was each time they had um, some sort of attack or they were conquered was... Uh, why did God allow this to happen? You know, how, how could the temple possibly fall? Right. It's God impenetrable. Said, you, you can't be done. The inviolability of, of Zion, you right. know, is like, a, is like a, a very core theology of, of the people post Deuteronomy. So, um, you know, so, and a lot of these books are answering that. Another book, and I know J- Jimmy is not a fan of Judges, y'all. Judges is like <laughs> the bomb. Like, I speed read that book. <laughs> Judges is brutal, but it's and there's it's it's hard to read and it's challenging. But I've always liked Judges because Judges is cyclical. You know, you just it's almost like the same story over and over again with different characters, and that's what we're getting at. There's a way. There's a helpful way to read Apocalypse um, and to understand Apocalypse uh, that sees it as as describing the things that continue to happen. My grandmother was a civilian in World War II, and uh, she lived in Penzance, and at night they would bomb. Uh, they would Germany. The Germans would drop all their bombs, even though Penzance, as far as I know, wasn't a military stronghold. But they would drop their incendiary bombs because they needed to get back over the English Channel, and they often didn't have the gas to fly the weight of the leftover bombs over. So she survived that, and um, her family were Foursquare uh, Gospel Christians at that time. And, you know, they thought that was the end of the world. Right. Like, they really believed I would have believed it. <laughs> was it, you know, World War II. And so that's, for me, a very, a very personal example right. of, of what this is right. um, and why we relate to it, why we do find meaning in it. Right. You know, like you said, there's nothing wrong in that. Read the newspaper. With, you need to find meaning. Right. We're meaning-making machines. We need those maps of meaning. Right. Um, but the linear reading of Apocalypse is sometimes unhelpful, you know, in, in that regard. And, and I think that's why, like, we can, like, look at historical figures and why people thought Hitler was the Antichrist or thought yes. Stalin was the Antichrist. And it's kind of like I, I've said before, we've heard this story before. We've seen this image before. We've seen this theme before. And, and it's this entire idea that, yes, history is in some sort of sense linear, like the past is the past. The future is the future, the present is the present, but we kind of see this story play out in multiple generations at multiple times in a diverse number of settings. Um, And I think it's when we understand that, that's why we can relate to those apocalyptic passages of scripture and that we can, um, in a sense, have hope. And and, and and, and in the present moment and how we deal with our situations of, of what we're going through. Um, and I think that's why those passages can be so helpful from a pastoral... And I, I really think Eugene Peterson and his his co- like brief little commentary that he wrote on... Seven the book, Thunders. Yeah, right? Seven Thunders. There's, I forgot the Thunders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, there you go, Seven Thunders. Seven Fields of Thunder. Uh, they're like onions, you peel. No. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, like, and I think like he really opened my eyes at one point to the idea of, of the pastoral context of it and the playing out of the themes. And, and I talked about this briefly on another podcast I did at the beginning of COVID with, with Revelation 18 in which like we talk about Babylon 
And we talk about Babylon, and, and a lot of people want to tie it to a future thing. And I don't think that instinct's wrong, but there's very much a real sense in which Babylon always exists. It's existed in the past, like the, the, the theme of Babel, like going back to the Tower of Babel, like that entire idea of the Plains of Shinar. Like there's a reason the Bible connects those sort of the, the Genesis story with the, the Tower of Babel and the Babylonian uh, Empire and Rome. And then we talk about Babel yet in the future and apocalyptic sort of literature is because there's a very real sense in which Babylon always exists, but there's a very real sense that Babylon's always falling. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to be uh, always aware as Christians that, that we live in this present world order, this system, um, this, what the Bible calls the world, mm -hmm. um, and that we realize there's principalities and powers and evil forces and heavenly places and, and all these sort of things that Paul kind of uh, talked about. Um, and, but there's a very real sense in which we need to come out of her now and not partake of her sins lest we partake of her plagues. Um, and we need to realize that there is this detachment that we need to experience in the present. And it's not just some sort of like, well, one day there's going to be this great um, empire that rules all the world. And there's going to be one world order, one world currency, and uh, one false prophet and one antichrist. Well, there's many antichrists. There's, yes. there's many world orders. Um, the, 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 the point of those passages is not to necessarily project about the future, even though those things may you know, ultimately materializes some sort of historical future sense, just as they did in the past. Um, but they're also happening in the present. Um, and and that's, that's why I think that this, this paradigm theme, this archetype theme, this we've been here before theme, is something that we need to continue to live out as Christians um, who are an apocalyptic people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we're probably... Um, uh, really beating the nails in this thing yeah. here. But but one other thing, uh, two other things I want to say is, I think two of the um, <clears throat> two of the worst things that the the hermeneutic of a lot of uh, uh, the Church of our origin has the the Pentecostal Church, the the more dispensational kind of view of things. And I want to say, by the way, I ain't mad. Like I'm not mad that that was the hermeneutic I was handling. Right. You know, in some ways it was good. Yeah. And here's why. One way it was good is that as I got older, I learned that it was a new way of reading the Bible. Right. Like dispensationalism and especially the Pentecostal understanding of it is, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, fairly new understanding right. of, 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 of that stuff. Um, so that gives, that helps me understand that, you know, we don't have to concretize our, our eschatology, right. um, that we can still, you know, kind of examine it and look at it. Cause even what I was taught was a fairly new thing to be taught as a Christian historically. Right. right. But one thing it did was it, it and I think this is a danger in that type of religion anyway, is kind of this addiction to being certain. Right. Um, we want a certain antichrist. We want a certain, um, you know, sort of, um, sort of end to things. And what that did was it, it really took our focus, I think, on a lot of the things that were happening in the world around us over the past hundred years, because we're all, we're looking for the one mm. and we've got all these rules for him. Like I remember right. growing up, like, he's got to be Jew. Right. And then they changed that for a minute and they're like, oh, he could be Arab. Right. You know, he could be Muslim. There was that whole thing. That he could be Henry Kissinger. That's right. He <laughs> was a Jew. Right. <laughs> so it's perfect. He doesn't like women. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, so, um. <laughs> So that, that was one thing I feel like is, has been so harmful right. to the church is that really kind of, it really kind of drew our attention the wrong direction. It's almost like Jesus said, be careful of those who say Christ is here, Christ is there, right. Christ is here, Christ is there, always trying to identify the certain thing right. as it 
you can do the same thing with anti, you know, with Antichrist, always looking for the certain one. Right. Instead of understanding in Scripture, Antichrist is a spirit. Right. Um, in fact, I don't think it's ever designated to a person. Um, you have the beast in Revelation, and a lot of people make that connection, but there's no reason to make that connection. Yeah. John was pretty good with his language. Yeah. Like, if you read John, the Johannine works, I mean, right. he don't play around with his symbols. You'd feel like if that's what he's going for, he'd have made that a little more clear. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Um, the second thing is, is that the idea of, of a, and, and I'd love to hear you talk about this, Jimmy, because yeah. you're very passionate about it. The idea of a certain eschaton, like this right. once and for all kind of thing, um, in which Jesus will return. And right. again, I'm not accountable to any church these right. days, so I, I can say whatever I'm wrestling with and thinking with, I guess. Because um, I don't know where I'm at on that. Right. Like, I don't know okay. where, I'm, where I'm at on that. So, because um, I don't know that I understand the necessity of it okay. within the plan of God. And maybe there is a necessity to it. And we don't have to talk about that today. We can yeah. talk about that in person if you want to. Um, but what that did was whenever you think that there needs to be this one certain event, nothing else matters. Right. So you don't take care of the environment. Um, you don't really take care of your business. And this was a problem. That, wait, I just thought about this, actually. This is a problem that was in the early church. Yeah. You had people who just stopped caring because right. they thought it was going to happen next week. Right. So I guess for me, that's what I'm looking at when you try to have a certain sort of moment that you're looking right. forward to. I see what you're saying. There's helpful things to it. But at the same time, you have the early church who had that, and it was not very helpful for them. And sure. I guess that's maybe that's my reaction against it. Right. Actually, now that, right. I'm, now that I'm saying it out loud, we're having therapy here. Right. On <laughs> and, you know, yeah. some, some of these ideas we're tossing around, we're not 100% sure of. Sure. Like, right. I, I will say, like, I've never read this idea in a theology book. Right. Like, to some idea, like, this is Daniel and I kind of piecing, like, these things together as, like, we've we've... Heard these? Th- we, we've we've read broadly. We've drunk. We've drank many waters um, <laughs> uh, of many traditions. Like Daniel's been to Bible college and seminary. I've been to Bible college and seminary. Uh, Daniel's gone down a much more progressive view of things theologically. I've tended to remain much more conservative. But like like I say in the tagline for this podcast, I'm curiously evangelical. Um, like, <laughs> and I used to say I'm con- I'm a conflicted Pentecostal. Yeah, so, and, yeah. and so but uh, but I think like there's a sense of like, like what you said, though, like there's concerns about when we're just looking for the one. And I think that's especially important when it comes to the Antichrist, because like whether there is a the Antichrist or not, I don't think matters. I think I mean, I personally believe there will be. But I think when we're only looking for the one that makes us dangerous for the one who's alive right now, mm-hmm. um, it right. makes us miss the spirit of Antichrist that's at work in the world right now and through certain individuals. And I think, you know, I was no I was kind of outspoken about Trump over the years um, during his presidency. Um, I was also spo- outspoken against Obama, for the record, for anybody who's listening or cares. Um, but there's like a very sense in which we start looking for antichrist, or and when I say antichrist, we mean in place of Christ. Like that's what the word literally means, like somebody who's in the place of Christ. Mm-hmm. So we can elevate an Obama uh, or elevate a Donald Trump to almost messianic fervor, and devotion to them and so you don't dare question obama or you don't dare question trump or you're on the wrong team you're you're of the devil um and and so we we go to town defending these guys as if they are jesus right um and that happens whether we're talking about obama trump or we're we're talking about hitler or stalin or or putin or whatever because all these guys have had their their worshipers yes all these guys have had their their fans and their 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 followers um, and there's a very real sense in which I would say all of them, including Obama, uh, just to make this clear, or including Trump, 
Um, like they serve in a almost antichrist type role because of the level of devotion that people blindly give to them. And so as a result, when they appear in the present, because we're only looking for the one, we think, okay, well, I can follow him almost like he's Jesus. Um, and so like you have the German church go nuts over Hitler because yeah. they treated him like he was Jesus. Yeah. Um, and they bought into his vision about the kingdom of God, which they equated to Germany. Yeah. Or what we do in America with uh, the kingdom of God and tying it to America mm-hmm. um, and and our manifest destiny and the city on a hill and, and all this sort of stuff. So like we see these themes before. And I think when you only simply focus on the one then you, you make really dangerous grounds for the present. Um, and even though I believe there will still ultimately probably be a V1 Antichrist, um, simply, if anything, for symbolic uh, capitulations sure. um, and climactic themes about things. Well, who, well, if Jesus does literally return, right. which I'm cool with, yeah, bring right. it on. Right. All right, like, right. I'm good with that. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get canceled. That's right. what's going on. Uh, I have nothing to get canceled yeah. from, so there we go. Um, I guess, so what was I going to say? So um, if there's a little, and that's great. And I would say that if there is a little return of Christ, obviously, whoever the figurehead is at that time um, of sort of receiving the world's praise and honor is, that is the anti, you know, that is the antichrist. Um, And so, you know, I, I, I think that, but thinking of it as a spirit is, is, is a very helpful thing to do because and that's the beauty of monotheism by the way is is the uncaging of god you know uh what abraham did among ancient people was so profound and so provocative um by 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 bringing in this idea of a monotheistic god and then later on moses taking this idea of a monotheistic God and saying it has no form and it doesn't really even have a name. Its right. name is existence. Right. Its name is I am. Right. The Hebrew verb for to be, okay? Which is like the basic verb of all language. You're going to learn right. a language, you're going to learn the to be verbs first because uh, everything else is typically conjugated from that. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, that, that, is, uh, that is kind of one of the beautiful scandals is that it's uncaged. Right. And I think we need to understand that about the spirit of Antichrist as well. Um, that it is a spirit of the age, right? right? It, you know, we talk about zeitgeist or whatever. The zeitgeist is Antichrist, I right. guess you might could say. Maybe it is. Um, but um, but that kind of ties into like, uh, you know, the car- caricaturization of, of, of people because what, what is the, what is the uh, quote, um, ultimate power? Uh, uh, power corrupts. Um, ultimate power corrupts absolutely. ultimate absolute, absolute power, power corrupts absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah and you i think you see that and people change right. like their physical appearance changes there's so it's actually not that far fetched when you read like apocalyptic literature and you hear these people described as monsters and beasts right it's like yeah it kind of do look like that some of them. i mean look at putin like he's he's got the world trembling right now because yeah. we're like man right. this guy's threatening the present world order right uh, he's pushing us to the brink of, you know, a very real sense in which through him, the world could end. Like, you know, if he pushes us to nuclear levels of, you know, threat, but a very real, you know, chance right now that, that we're looking, we need to understand like Matthew 24, wars and rumors of wars. Like, 
I, I think that's why I love the vagueness of all that. Like, yes. Like, I love the deliberate vagueness of Jesus in this apocalyptic exactly. passage. Yes. Because for him, it was much more about picking up on, open your eyes and see the patterns. Um, and he scolded the Pharisees of his day saying, you haven't recognized the patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's very real sense in which, like, he was operating on another level that they didn't see yet. Um, and he was taking things of Old Testament passages of Scripture and applying them to himself in a way that they didn't understand. Like, they were very much operating off a historical, grammatical approach to understanding prophecy. And Jesus would take, you know, prophetic passages of the Old Testament, and this is that, you know, uh, Moses spoke of me, and the prophets spoke of me. This is, I'm the sum of all these things. Yeah. Um, and they were just like, what? <laughs> like, they were sincerely confused. Yeah. Um, but he's like, but you, you failed to open your eyes. You failed to discern the signs of the times. Um, and I think that's our biggest concern that we have right now. And the reason Daniel and I wanted to bring this, this very, I know, very convoluted in some sense, uh, and self-admittedly so. But I think it's like, if you can open your eyes to understand the signs of the times, and that we've been down this road before, mm-hmm. that you can adapt your, your faith for the present moment, understanding ultimately how this all ends um and it, it all ultimately like you quoted from earlier about they overcame because of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and that's what we need to be faced and prepared with as as a people of god to overcome whatever that apocalypse is whatever that beast is whatever those powers are by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony in which the heavens and the earth shake um, in which the stars fall from the sky and the moon turns into blood, um, and um, in which we bring those apocalyptic dreams and understandings of the world into the present so that we can be the people of God um, who live as if the, pre- the future has already happened mm-hmm. um, in the present. And, um, that, and I, I believe that's especially for me, I'm very passionate about, um, you know, the apocalyptic fervor. Like, I believe in a very real sense, you read the pages of the New Testament, I believe they believed Jesus was going to come. Like, yeah. some, some scholars kind of chide at it, saying, well, look at, you know, some, uh, some, some people will chide the scriptures and say, well, look, Jesus didn't come back, and that's what they said was going to happen. Well, you know, there's a very real sense in which they're right, but there's a very real sense in which they were wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we need to take an understanding of, like, it wasn't just one particular thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a thing that happens time and time again, and I think it will happen until the day Jesus returns. Yeah. Um, and I, I believe that is, a, uh, I, I personally believe that's a very, I believe in a very literal uh, imminent second coming. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, but that spirit of what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 24, about, like, Jesus projected this sense of imminence. Like, mm-hmm. like we almost kind of mock the sense of imminence in which, like, a lot of Pentecostals, um, and fundamentalist evangelicals have, and it kind of irks me like the N.T. rights of the world who, you know, I understand where he's coming from because, like we said, there's a lot of legitimate room for criticism. Sure. Um, but the spirit of that animates those people, like the, the Jack Van Empey's who, Jack Van Empey wasn't looking for Antichrist. Jack Van Empey was looking for the second coming of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was his, I believe, true motivation in a lot of the things. Now, he got a lot of things wrong in his his predictions and constant moving of things, but he was always trying to find Jesus in the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And I think as Christians, we need to always be finding Jesus in the apocalypse. Yeah. 
And because at the end of the day, that's what the apocalypse is. It's the unveiling. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right. And that's the name of the book. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to offer, uh, and and again, you can totally edit this out, Jimmy. I'm going to offer a, 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 a little bit different uh, understanding of that. Um, and let me gather my thoughts because I had them together and I just lost them. Yeah. Um, so uh, talking about, um, oh yeah, yeah. So uh, a little different perspective on that is, is okay, rather than thinking of the one time, you know, if you have a problem with that like I do, okay, yeah. let, let's just take, let's just forget about who's right and who's wrong. Right. Maybe you're somebody out there like me, right now you're just wrestling with it. So is there a way, is there a way to interpret and use this as helpful as a Christian, as a believer who's kind of wrestling um, with all of that stuff. And I would say there is, because when we talk about the apocalyptic literature um, being Christian in nature or Jewish in nature, and then there's apocalypses across genres, um, you have an archetype that appears in Greek mythology uh, and in, in, in all kinds of um, ancient literature, religious and non-religious, of the ascending and descending hero. Okay, uh, Hercules does this, um, and you see it time and again. There's an argument to be made that you see it in the New Testament. Um, in the book of John, um, people say that Jesus never, um, uh, he never ascends in the book of John. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only thing close to Jesus ascending in the book of John is when Mary is holding on to him. And he says, right. don't hold on to me. I'm, I must go to my father. Right. And a lot of scholars believe that is the Johannine ascension right, um, right there. And then he appears later to the disciples. Um, and it's in a time of apocalypse, okay? Literally, or within the narrative, literally, depending <laughs> on how you interpret it, the sun has been blackened, the the earth has shaken, the veil has been rent from top to bottom. Right. Um, so these apocalyptic events have, um, have happened, and then Jesus returns after them. Another example of this is when Paul is on the road to Damascus, Jesus returns and meets Paul on the road to Damascus. So it's not like Jesus left and never came back. He came back at least twice. Right. Uh, <laughs> already. <laughs> so, right. Uh, he left. Out. <laughs> right. So, um, so I guess for me, I think there's a way of imagining this in right. which there's not kind of this um, penultimate return of Christ um, but that in apocalyptic times we find Christ and maybe in mystical, not physical ways. I don't know. That's tricky territory and I'm not, I'm not even equipped to go there yet. Uh, but I do think the symbolism is striking across genres that maybe there is a helpful way to do this. Right. And you said this was convoluted and to some degree it is. Right. Self-admittedly. But, it, but it's a map. Right. And from it, you know, I think something I would love to do if I ever get the time is to actually take Revelation and kind of read it through that lens for people who've never done that before. Right. It's like most people don't know how to touch it, and they right. were raised in traditions that only touch it one certain way. Right. Um, but it is helpful. So, yes. Yeah. And I, 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 I would agree with you that the religious fervor or the fervor for the apocalypse is, is the fervor for the imminent return of Christ is, is valuable. Right. It is valuable. Right. Jesus made it clear. It would be like a thief in the night. He right. made it clear. Don't be asleep. To be sober. So there's something. To don't be know said. when your master's. That's right. right. There's something to be said about all of that. Right. So for sure. Right. Well, I think this has been a very fruitful discussion. I don't think we necessarily need to have a nice, neat bow on it. Um, like I think I, it's given me a lot to think about. It's something I've been wrestling about actually personally for years, um, and I know you have as well. Um, and so Daniel and I just wanted, we were talking about this stuff. We just wanted to put it out there and try to hope that 
this sense of this map of the apocalypse, this map of meeting, these paradigms, um, seeing apocalyptic uh, things and maybe a way that you haven't seen them before so that you can better understand um, the signs of the times and what we're going through now and and hopeful that, uh, you know, if, if you're a Christian that this will, and maybe even if you're not a Christian, I don't even know, like this could all, I, I know some of my followers on this podcast, you you aren't Christians and maybe you long tuned out and you haven't gotten, you know, to this hour and 12 minute mark, uh, yeah, this podcast, but, um, you know, even if you're not, I, I think it gives um, an understanding of the world that maybe you can even incorporate, um, you know, this idea of death and resurrection, beginnings and ends, new heavens, new earth, um, these sort of cycles, these themes that you see um, in the Christian tradition um, from which Daniel and I come, but, you know, in a very real sense that, um, you know, you could even maybe export that to whatever your world is, your perspective is now, but, you know, I, again, I'm hoping that you ultimately come to see it through a, a very Christian uh, lens. Well, Daniel, it's been awesome having you on the show. If you want to reach out to Daniel and I, you can email me, jimmy at jimmy's table, uh, .com. Um, you can, and if you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, I encourage you to do so. Go to jimmystable.com slash subscribe. Uh, this has been jimmystable.com where I'm having conversations and this has been a conversation. <laughs> um, uh, but I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Take care, everybody. God bless. And share this with a friend because, you know, it almost looks like the end of the world. Maybe. Uh, but I, I feel like we've seen this story before. So take care, everybody. God bless. Uh, have a good one. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all. <laughs>